So tonight I'm going to continue the series that I've been offering um, for the last, this will be the fourth week, I think. Um, we've been taking a close look at one of the lists, uh, lots of lists in Buddhism, and this particular list is called the Three Pillars of the Dharma. And it includes dana, which is the, the Pali word for giving or generosity. Um, sila, which is the Pali word for virtue or um, living in harmony with the way things are. Um, we talked last week quite a bit about that and the precepts and um, spent some time on wise speech, which is one of those uh, precepts. And so this week, tonight, I'll talk about bhavana, which this word bhavana is used in different ways through the suttas. In this context, my understanding is that it's being used um, in terms of cultivating uh, concentration and insight. So it's really pointing to the practices that are in, in the tradition And so all three of these are of great importance, equal importance, these three pillars. And one of the ways that I think of this is as if they were all legs to a table, a three-legged table. And you want that table to be a flat surface. And if one leg is shorter than the other, or if one pillar is underdeveloped, you then become quite lopsided, <laughs> a lopsided table, or in this way, <laughs> a lopsided practice, um, a lopsided development in, in this path. And so we've discussed how bhavana, these practices that we engage in, often they're the ones that get highlighted here in the West. Uh, which is really different than how these three pillars are presented in, for example, Southeast Asia, which is where this particular lineage is coming from, Thailand, uh, Burma, Myanmar, and Sri Lanka, a little bit of in, in India, but mostly those three countries. And so the their table is more even, <laughs> you could say. It's flatter than ours. Um, we're very practice-oriented here in the West and um, as far as in this tradition. And so I wanted to give attention to the importance of all three and how all three work together. So this word bhavana, I think it's also important to mention. It's often used in the suttas and the teachings um, in conjunction with another word. So Excuse me, an example of this would be the phrase citta bhavana, citta meaning heart and mind, the heart mind, which is what we're cultivating, um, is a clear, wise heart and mind. Uh, so, bhavana is the word for um, cultivating or developing, development. Um, sometimes it's used in the phrase metta bhavana, metta, I talked about metta on the break, um, this loving kindness 
that we are cultivating or developing. And so bhavana, again, is being used there as this development of, of, our, of our loving kindness. So when used as one of the pillars, we can see how um, it most likely is being used as a pointer to what is being cultivated in our practice or in our engagement with this path. And so that might be concentration and insight. But to cultivate and develop concentration and insight, there are so many different practices. There isn't one practice to do that. There are many, many, many different practices. And so um, I thought that I would name some of these practices. Um, so for example, samadhi or jhana practice, these are concentration practices uh, specifically where we can uh, train the mind to really collect and stay concentrated to varying levels that um, go quite deep, actually. Mindfulness, most of us have heard that term. It's become quite popular. Uh, Mindfulness is uh, one of the major practices that fall under this category. Pure awareness practice. Um, The Brahma Viharas, which are the heart practices, such as metta. Metta falls under the Brahma Viharas. Uh, Reflection, contemplation, inquiry are all types of practices that we engage in, either um, on a specific topic, perhaps a list like this one, um, perhaps bringing the, the practice out into our daily life. We can use simple techniques like inquiry um, to deepen, deepen and cultivate our heart and our mind. Through study, there's actually quite a bit of study of the texts and commentaries. Uh, Mostly, we see a lot of that in Southeast Asia, but there's some of that happening here as well. Some people, that is their main practice. It's not so much meditation, but through study, and this, this can be a really wise way to develop. And then there can be practice through movement, through uh, your livelihood, through your work, your activities. There's even lineages within Theravadan that um, resemble shamanism, ritual, lots of ritual, um, devotion, having a devotional practice. So all of these fit under this category of bhavana. And when we're developing this practice of bhavana, uh, we begin to see how the dana practice, generosity, sila, the virtue, how how we behave, what we put out into the world through our actions and speech, how those really support our Uh, our meditation practices. And I've mentioned this a couple times, and I think it's a really important point. I'm going to say it again, (laughs) that 
so many of us come to the cushion or to the chair, to our practice, to calm our mind and to have some stress relief or relaxation in the body. Maybe you come because you're really looking for answers or insight, knowledge, wisdom. So whatever brings you here, we are often under the impression that to do that, we have to come and we sit, and then it arises. But if you noticed <laughs> at all in your, in your sitting practice, um, the agitation, the um, aversion that might arise, uh, the wanting for it to be different, uh, the mind that just won't stop, uh, it's not necessarily... Um, true that just coming to the practice and sitting that you'll have the benefits you were really hoping for. Does this ring true to anybody? Okay, good. (laughs) So with these three pillars, what we begin to really understand is that how we are in the world, how we are in our life is what actually helps support our practice here we've often got it backwards that we'll come here and we'll practice and that will be what changes our life. That can be true. That can be true. And if it hasn't been true so far, (laughs) or if you're noticing that it hasn't been true lately, consider this, that how you are in the world is what will affect your ability when you come to the cushion. It will create the conditions that are needed, a mind that is not restless, a mind that's not cluttered with doubt or anger or aversion or confusion or restlessness, because that's how we spent our day or our week or our month or our year. No, instead it comes and it's already settled. There's a confidence there because our actions have led us to have confidence. The way that we are in the world is peaceful. And so that peaceful come, peacefulness comes into us when we are sitting here in our meditation. And from there the concentration arises. The mind collects, it softens, it's energized. Our mindfulness practice is strong and stable. We can see clearly. And so it's just a different way of thinking about it. And we can start to see how these three pillars really work together. Because, of course, from there, when you go back out into the world, that sit, that practice has an effect on how you then go back into the world. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. So they're intertwined. Oftentimes we have these lists in Buddhism and you know we, we can often think of them as very linear. You do one and then the, the next and then the next. They might even be numbered list. And so it gives us this impression uh, that we cultivate one and then the other and then the other. And the one at the top is more important than the one on the bottom or vice versa. And we get these ideas about what 
these practices or these concepts, these lists are. There's nothing linear about them when we actually bring them to life in our practice. They're very much intertwined uh, when they come alive, and they all support each other to create that evenness in our practice, that steadiness. So when I was thinking about bhavana specifically and what did I really want to share with you this evening, and I thought, well, there's, there's all these different practices that we could get into, which wouldn't be a waste of time. Um, but I felt like perhaps there was something more that I could touch upon. So what came to mind was to talk about what is it that allows us to stay in this particular pillar? What allows us to come and be inspired uh, to practice? What brings you here even on a Thursday evening for two hours, uh, 45 minutes of which is in silence and stillness? What made you do that? (laughs) There's a reason. And I'd love to explore that and tease that out a little bit. So what I realized as I was looking at this list of all these different practices, they're all wonderful. And it doesn't matter which one you're engaging in right now. So I imagine that we're all doing it a little bit differently. And how you're doing it, perhaps it doesn't really matter so much. As long as it's inspiring you, as long as it's uh, allowing your mind and your heart to feel nourished and relaxed and present, as long as it inspires and motivates you to be here in the moment and to keep coming back to that. That's what's important. So I want to begin by having you think about what is it, uh, what are the fruits of your practice, not what is your practice, but what are the fruits of your practice that have inspired you? What's come out of this that makes you think, oh, this is a really good idea, (laughs) or I should do more of this? Maybe you're just starting out, so you're not quite sure yet, but there's a reason you're here. Maybe someone you came with inspired you to come, or maybe you just have this sense that There's something more to life that I'm not getting out there. Um, Maybe you've been doing this for a really long time, and you've seen many fruits over the years, and it's just time to reflect upon it. Perhaps noticing, are you in touch with that part of your practice? So what I'd like you to do is turn towards somebody near you And um, you don't have to know them. (laughs) Introduce yourself and share. What is it that inspires you about this practice or about your practice? And we'll just take a few minutes to do that. So go ahead and turn towards someone. If If you'd rather stay quiet, you're welcome to do that. We'll take just one more minute.
Okay. You can begin to wrap up your sentence and be sure to thank your partner or partners. So let's hear from a few of you. What is inspiring to you about your practice? And Jaime, do you want to run the mic? That'd be, that'd be great. Thank you. We all just talked about it. <laughs> yeah, great. Carly, thank you. Uh, so I was sharing that I really find refuge in the Dharma, in the Buddha, and in the Sangha. And um, life just does not make sense to me without it. Mm. it. It really doesn't. So I come and I practice and I sit to honor and bow to the three jewels. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think Bing and I were kind of saying the same thing in in different ways. I said, um, when I meditate regularly, um, I find myself kind of just falling in love with everything Mm. more and more. And Bing was saying it just brings a sense of well-being to life. And it seems like, you know, kind of maybe that's, and, and I think we both sort of said, yeah, that's the same thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in different kind of words, different, anyway. It's mysterious in that way, how just coming into this moment and coming to silence and then whatever, engaging in whatever your practice is. And we do, we just, we end up falling in love with life and feeling that well-being. It's really quite, quite a beautiful thing. Well, I'm more of a beginning practitioner. I don't have a whole lifetime as some people do. I just know that when I'm being nice, it feels good. And I like that. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Yes, right here. I like this question because had me had me looking more into place I hadn't looked Mm. Um, but I um, I think one of the things that inspires me with practicing is that when I'm say in a meditation practice I give myself permission to let anything be as it is and that is not something I do all the time in my life it's something I would like to do all the time in my life. And so that keeps me coming back to the practice because so, it feels so good to have permission mm. to be and to have space for everything. Mm-hmm. And then that gets to expand into my day-to-day life. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I just want to share what, what uh, Keith said to me. Which uh-huh. is, uh, he was saying that um, you know, it, it, the practice reminds him that there is a body and it's not just the crazy mind 
<laughs> walking around doing things and sitting really helps to remember that. I thought that was yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like just getting in touch with being embodied instead of being run by the neurotic thoughts, as they say. Yeah, yeah. It's important. We, we forget really easily, right? Mm. How about one more in the back here? I just notice, like, through the practice of meditation, um, less anxiety, less doubt, and then more, more kindness and wholesome action through, through that because your mind is clear. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. There's a couple of quotes uh, from the Buddha that I pulled as I was thinking about my own relationship with this question. And I think that they touch upon uh, what everybody's been sharing. And one is just the, the gift of being able to see things clearly. Uh, and that means including everything, right? Like you were saying, that... Um, in this practice, we, we see it all. And some of it is what we really were hoping for. <laughs> and some of it is the nasty bits that we, we didn't know we could just be with. But we learn how to just be with even, with even that. And that feels invigorating in some way, not to be pushed around by, by that part of life because it is a part of life and it's not going anywhere (laughs) sorry (laughs) if that was your hope in coming (laughs) it's not going anywhere it is the rawness of being human and when we can ease into even that part oh the relief it's such a relief and this is just a simple quote from the buddha saying that three things uh, cannot be long hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. <laughs> and we sometimes we fear the truth, right? It's, we're not so sure we want to see the nitty-gritty of life that close. You know, we spend a lot of time avoiding that area and patching it up and making it look like something else. So we don't have to really engage with it. And so a lot of fear uh, can be developed from doing that. It becomes so unknown to us that we end up fearing it because we don't know it. And in this practice, we're asked to actually turn towards those areas of life, of being human, and get to know it. To actually see that it's, it's no scarier than the boogeyman under the bed. <laughs> There's nothing there. All this time that we've spent avoiding and pushing away and trying to just make it so, so we'll be comfortable. And all that efforting that we've put into doing that, we suddenly realize, oh, I don't have to do that. There's nothing there. Really, it's okay. It's really okay. And so we, we kind of inch to that place. You know, we don't have to go right there to, oh, everything's fine. (laughs) I question that when people go right there, right? Really, you need to look a little closer maybe. (laughs) But we inch to it, you know. We, We gently pull back the layers of our 
illusion. And we do it layer by layer. And over time through this practice, we start to really realize and trust that with each layer, we can really be there with even the scary stuff or what we thought was so scary. We also learn to uh, appreciate not only all of life, like you were saying, just falling in love with life, but realizing we are a part of that. You know, that we are um, not separate from anything that we're falling in love with (laughs) about this life. This is a really beautiful quote. You can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserves your love and affection. And we, we learn that through this practice. Slowly but surely, we t- start to trust that. So these are just a few of the jewels that come through practice and inspire us to keep coming back, inspire us to stay with all these different practices to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I have to ask myself when I think of this, why, what takes us away from our practice? Why is it so hard? (laughs) Right? I hear this big exhale. Yeah, why is it so hard? What gets in the way? Why do we forget? Why do we forget these inspiring things? The gems of our practice. And I think there's lots of reasons why we forget. And one is we're, we're given such conflicting messages in our life, um, out in, in society, you know, one of the ideas I had was to just go through the news today and to choose the, to go through and just see what kind of messaging was there that was in conflict with what I was feeling inspired about practice. And I'll tell you, it was such a rabbit hole <laughs> that I stopped. <laughs> And I, I, I like the news. I listen to NPR and all that, and so I like to be uh, knowing all that. So it's not about rejecting and not being a part of the world. That is not what I'm saying. But um, I will say, it was when I was looking through it, this particular lens, I realized, oh, this is not healthy. <laughs> I just thought, well, I'll think of something else to say. Because <laughs> there's so much. I mean, just driving down the freeway, driving uh, through San Francisco with all the billboards and all, you know, all that messaging of this is where your happiness is. This is where your worth lies. Uh, This is what should be really important to you. And we get that all over the place. And we've been getting it for really our entire lives, haven't we? So that's very much ingrained in us. And then besides media... Just um, the people around us, perhaps. Uh, Hopefully we have really great friends and and people in our lives that 
we can talk to in this way, you know, and, and explore truth. Um, but most likely, a lot of people you encounter won't even know what you're talking about or how to begin to engage in that way. Um, it's not really something we do naturally um, um, in the general culture. There's lots of different cultures, of course, that make up our larger culture. And so, and we have different ways of communicating and being together. Um, but just in a general way, uh, yeah, this is a little different, right? The messaging is a little bit different or a lot different. So we have these habits that are created. These habits of mind and habits in our heart um, that we get really confused by. What is true gets very confused because of all this different messaging. And it can be hard to see clearly through it. And we get pulled back into these old habits of thinking and being very easily. And it's okay to kind of, you know, tap yourself on the shoulder and give yourself a little love and understanding because, you know, how long have you been doing it this one way? And now you're, you know, trying to right the ship. Think of it as one of those big tankers in the bay. You can't just turn. It's, you know, a whole process to (laughs) turn towards what's really true. And the Buddha says, we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make our world. So much of how we see the world and how things are is in our mind, our reality, right? How is it that my reality, the way I see things and perceive things, can be so different from your reality or your reality? And yet, here we are in the same space together, right? Going through this this life together. But so much of how we see our world and live through our world is all in our mind, is created through our mind. How are we perceiving it? So interestingly, Henry David Thoreau has a different take on this, but a similar message. As a single footstep will not make a path on the earth, no single thought will, make, will not make a pathway in the mind. To make a deep physical path, we, will, we walk again and again. To make a deep mental path, we must think over and over the kind of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. So it's, that's great information. <laughs> it also works in reverse, <laughs> right? So we have these deep grooves of how we've been doing things and how we think about things. And some of them are really wholesome and true, and some of them are not. And the ones that are not really do get into the, in the way of ourselves seeing clearly. And traditionally in Buddhism, we look at them through the lens of um, a mind that is confused by greed, hatred, and delusion. But these are the root poisons that cloud 
our seeing truth and really cloud our ability to come in, in touch with the beauty of what comes from a mind and a heart that is much more free that you were pointing to in your, in your groups. A mind and heart that is inspired towards truth, even when it's hard. So these are the things that, that get in the way, and they get in the way for all of us. This is not personal. <laughs> this, is, this too is part of the human experience. It's why these are practices. You know, it's not like you take this pill and you're, you're free. <laughs> We're, we've been looking for that solution for a long time. They haven't figured it out yet. It's a practice. It's a life practice. It takes, a, it takes lifetimes, right? And so this in itself, just a reflection on this, can be an inspiration to come back to this moment, come back to the practices we're engaged in. When I was thinking about all the different things that can keep us inspired, one of the things that popped in my mind was times in my, my practice history where I was in love with the practice. Not just in love with life, but in love with the practice and, and the discovery of truth, of how things were, even in its most simple forms. And some of you, I'm sure, have experienced this from time to time. Um, and if you haven't, it's okay. <laughs> it might happen. It's, it's such a spontaneous thing, something you can't uh, fabricate, where it's just the most precious thing to come in contact with truth that you just melt like you're in love for the first time. You know that feeling when you just are head over heels for someone? And it can be that way, actually, with the Dharma, with this practice, with this path. And so those are really inspiring times when we're in that. And what can come from that is actually uh, just like uh, where, where a relationship might start with that puppy love and that infatuation, it can then turn into uh, something much more stable and grounded where the practice becomes so familiar. We've seen so much through the continuation of practice. Keep coming back, keep coming back. We see so much so clearly. It's like a door's been opened and we can't shut that door anymore. We've seen too much. You can't go backwards. Anybody experience that in your practice? Where it's just like, I know too much. Sometimes we regret that even <laughs> at times where it's, it was so easy when I felt you know, ignorant to the whole situation. But now I just see too much. There's no going back. And so there's a real pivot point in our practice where this happens. It's really an important moment uh, when this happens to us. And we can um, go from this love and for, for the practice to something really stable where it becomes um, the most rational thing to do. Where all those things before that I was talking about that bring us away from our practice, they aren't so sticky. They're not the illusion 
um, isn't such a, an illusion anymore. We've seen the magic tricks behind the curtain. You know, we know how it works. And so we're not fooled so much anymore. And just in that place, too, um, that place of stability in our practice and our trust that comes from this place in practice becomes a great inspiration to keep going. Where it just, it almost seems like there isn't a choice in the matter. That something else bigger is driving this train. And we are just on for a ride. And so the practice can develop in this way. Staying with a beginner's mind is another way to really stay inspired by our practice. You know, when we've been doing this for a while, we might even forget why we're doing it. It just becomes part of the routine. It might feel a little rote at times. Um, And we forget to engage the heart in the practice. You know, it just becomes I do this and then I do this. And then the bell rings, and I get up, and I go. <laughs> I get my coffee, and I get in my car, and I go on with my day. And there could still be some benefit to that type of practice. Uh, so don't shy away if it's feeling rote. Keep doing it. But is there a way to engage the heart and the mind um, that allows for more connection with why we're doing this? A more immediate, in this moment, this is... This is what I'm doing, and it's fresh. It's not just something I've done every single day. It's fresh in this moment. It's a new moment of practice. Uh, In reflection of that, of course, I had to grab my copy of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and see what Suzuki Roshi had to say about it. And this is in his prologue. I'll just read a short um, piece of it. It says, for Zen, student, for Zen students, the most important thing is not to be dualistic. Our original mind, he puts that in quotes, original mind includes everything within itself. It is always rich and sufficient within itself. You should not lose your self-sufficient state of mind. This does not mean a, cloud, a clouded mind, but actually an empty mind and a ready mind. If your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are always possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. And so we can see that in our practice when we really think, oh, we've got this down, or yeah, 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 I know what I'm doing. (laughs) To, To notice that, catch it to revive the practice in a way by looking a little deeper. Is the practice that you're doing taking you to the edge of your understanding? Always going to the edge of your understanding and exploring that. Even those places, and usually they are, uncomfortable. That nitty-gritty I was talking about. Does your practice take you there? Does it take you to a fresh place that you hadn't quite gotten to before, does it drop in a little bit deeper because you are ready for it? Your mind is open to it, which is what Suzuki Roshi is pointing to. That beginner's mind state. 
And then lastly, a way to stay uh, inspired by this practice and stay in touch with this practice is to see the immediacy of why this is so important. And this comes back to staying in touch with the truth of our impermanence. That we are in able bodies right now that can come to the monastery and sit here for two hours, even if it's uncomfortable. (laughs) But you're able to do it. We are in this impermanent state always, but we don't know that really all the time. Some of you, I bet, are much more in touch with that than others, depending on life experience or just what you're going, going through in life right now. This is by uh, Ajahn Chah, who's kind of one of our teacher's teachers. And this is in a dialogue that he's having with one of his lay practitioners uh, who is dying. So I'll just read you a piece of this, of the full dialogue, which is actually quite long. So he's giving this lay person instruction now to be with the fact that he's dying. Just take a look at the body. What sorts of things do you see? Is there anything intrinsically clean there? Can you find any abiding essence? This whole body is steadily degrading. And the Buddha taught us to see that it doesn't belong to us. It's natural for the body to be this way because all conditioned phenomenon are subject to change. How else would you have it be? Actually, there's nothing wrong with the way the body is. It's not the body that causes you suffering. It's your wrong thinking. When you see the right wrongly, there's bound to be confusion. It's like the water. It's like the water of a river. It naturally flows down the gradient. It never flows against it. That's its nature. If a person were to go to stand by a riverbank and seeing the water flowing swiftly down its course, foolishly want it to flow back up the gradient, he would suffer. Whatever he was doing, his wrong thinking would allow him no peace, no peace of mind. He would be unhappy because of his wrong view, thinking against the stream. If he had right view, he would see that the water must inevitably flow down the gradient. And until he realizes, or until he realized and accepted the fact that that person would be, or that person would be agitated and upset. The river that must flow down the gradient is like your body. Having been young, your body has become old, and now it's meandering towards its death. Don't go wishing it was otherwise. It's not something you have the power to remedy. The Buddha told us to see the way things are and then let go of our clinging to them. Take this feeling of letting go as your refuge. So when you hear this, 
Does it scare you? Or does it comfort you to think of life in this way that we can actually relax into with our practice to this very real truth that there's an immediacy to our need to waking up. There is an impermanence to our time here. Or do you feel kind of disconnected, um, unconcerned or unaffected by this type of truth, as if it didn't really relate to you? Something to notice, something to explore, if that's true for you. This is also part of being human. And something that can go from that place of fear that I was talking about to a place of great inspiration, a place that can actually be the fire for our effort and our practice to keep coming back as much as possible. Because at some point, that will be that. At some point, it won't be an option in this lifetime. And so we can use all these different ways and more to really stay engaged and to stay with this practice of bhavana. And I'll just finish with a quote. Again, this is the Buddha. Just as treasures are uncovered from the earth, so virtue, sila, appears from good deeds and wisdom appears from a pure and peaceful mind. To walk safely through the maze of human life, one needs the light of wisdom and the guidance of virtue. To walk safely through the maze of human life, one needs the light of wisdom and the guidance of virtue. And so I'll stop there with that reflection. And um, I hope that uh, through this really quite brief, when you think about it, um, exploration into this particular pillar, that what you come away with is that this practice really is meant to inspire itself and that the engagement of, of the heart in this practice and of our uh, deepest desires for awakening and freedom, clarity, hap- real happiness, true happiness, that our need for peace These are all things that we can uh, move towards, that we don't have to be afraid of that in our practice, that they can be great inspirations for our practice and fuel us in a way that's actually really needed to continue. So I hope you see that uh, from this. So we'll dedicate the merit.
So this dedication of merit is a way for us to also reflect again on just the wholesomeness of being here together as a community, being together as a community in this particular space, which is really very safe and built to nourish our awakening process. It's very special. And so acknowledging the goodness, the wholesomeness of just being here and practicing and listening to the Dharma, uh, we understand that, yes, we come and we hope that it has an effect on us, but we can go further than that and understand that this isn't just about us. It's for the people that we care about. It's for the people we interact with from day to day. It's for all beings everywhere. And we would like to dedicate the practice this evening especially to several people in our greater community. This was written by one of our members here, saying, I would like to dedicate the merit to my Uncle Jim, who struggles with drug addiction and is currently homeless. So we dedicate the merit to Jim. To my nearly 70-year-old dad, Rob, who carries the world on his shoulders, may he find balance, peace, and joy. We dedicate the merit to Rob. To Sally and Rob, we dedicate the merit to you. For Maria, who is having surgery tomorrow to remove a cancer on her lung. We dedicate the merit to Maria. And then just silently within yourself, if there's someone specifically in your life or someone who's just in your attention you'd like to dedicate the merit to, you can bring them up now. And then we extend that dedication to all beings everywhere, in all directions, those who are seen by us and are unseen by us. May all beings have safety from inner and outer harm. May all beings have happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings find a way to develop this path of freedom, this path towards true happiness and awakening. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.